Amen. All right. We're going to transition into the Word this morning. We are in a series, uh, episode 3 of Mark chapter 11. We started this series three years ago, I think. We've been going in and out. It takes a while to develop a new season, right? And this is episode 3 of season 11. And so we're excited about what God has been speaking to us out of Mark 11. If you remember previously in Mark 11, uh, the first episode, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem uh, in what has been named the triumphal entry. Jesus was riding the foal of a donkey the first time Anyone had ever ridden this donkey into Jerusalem, and they were declaring, Hosanna, right, Hosanna, and this was Jesus coming in, and and Jesus taught parables, but he also demonstrated parables. He lived parables, and this was, in this chapter, we get about three of his lived parables, and the first one was in episode one, where Jesus lived the parable of riding the donkey into Jerusalem, and he was declaring something. This is what he was declaring, I am a divine king coming to establish a divine kingdom. It's pretty, pretty radical what Jesus was saying here. I am a divine king, come to establish a divine kingdom. He didn't come on battle horse with missiles and swords, dominating. He came humble on the foal of a donkey, saying, I'm bringing a new type of kingdom. I'm inviting you into a new type of kingdom, not a force and coercion and manipulation, but one of submission, one of humility to a good God, amen? And so God was coming in, he was demonstrating through his son Jesus that I'm establishing a new kingdom. Now, Beatty taught last week, did a great job, that when Jesus came back into Jerusalem the next day, he sees a fig tree, all this activity of life in this fig, but when we went to check it, there was no fruit. And Jesus cursed that fig tree. He says, this is what he said, no one will ever eat fruit from you again. And this was another parable Jesus was describing. And what it was he saying? He was saying this, that the end of the old way of relating to God is coming. I am bringing down an old way of relating to me. And a new way is emerging. And so Mark has this way of doing things. He, he, theologians call it the Markin sandwich. He'll start a story. He'll tell another story in the middle and then he'll end the story. If, you, if you'll remember back, he did this when he sent out the, the, the disciples on mission. He sent them out on mission, gave them instructions, then told the story of the beheading of John the Baptist. And then he said, they came back and said, even the demons submit to us. And they were really excited. And what he was saying is that when God sends you out on mission, you're going to do great things for God, but it could cost you your life. See, he hid in the middle of the story the meaning or the message of the story. And so we see that here this morning in Mark chapter 11, episode three, because Jesus tells the story of a fig tree. Then he cleanses the temple, which we're gonna read this morning. And then he goes back to the fig tree and it's dead. And so he's, we're essentially, I don't know if you know these people, but they have these Oreo cookies. And people, sometimes people open them up like this and then they eat the inside first. Does anybody do that? Shame on you, that's gross. (laughs) No, but you eat the, so this morning we're going to eat the cream and the fig tree is the cracker, all right? So we're in the cream this morning. So we're going to read Matthew chapter 11, we have that on the screen, 15 through 19. 
So Jesus has cursed the fig tree. He's walking into the temple and he says this, and they came to Jerusalem. He entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is, not, is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him. Because all of the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Father, help us this morning. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And, and Jesus is coming in, coming into Jerusalem. And I want to just set up first is the setting. Once a year, the Passover would happen. Beatty said this last week, any, anywhere from one million to two million people would descend to Jerusalem. And the center of this dissension was the Passover feast, the Passover lamb, this moment of celebration. It was celebratory. It was like um, a huge holiday. It lasted a week or longer. And it was huge. People would come in and have this moment. In fact, Jesus and his disciples are staying on the Mount of Olives. And if you read the story, he goes into Jerusalem and he goes out. One of the reasons he keeps going out is because it was impossible many times to stay in Jerusalem. It was so filled with people. So he had a little side uh, house out in the suburbs where he was hanging out with his friends Lazarus. And Mary and Martha were from this town, Bethany. And so they would come in and this place was bustling with life. A million, two million people in this city Imagine, if you will, like Christmas on steroids, right? This wasn't a day. This was a week at least of celebration. And this was the heart of this moment. If you look back, um, this was actually what they were doing here in the temple provided economic sustainability for the city and for the temple itself. We, they did some research a couple years ago that w the home opener for East Carolina, the football game, the home opener brought $4 million into the city for one game. Can you all imagine that? One game brings $4 million. Now that's 50,000 uh, fans in a stadium. Now we're talking a million people descending on us. I mean, can you imagine times 20, times 40, probably what this and that's a day, we're talking about a week plus. And so we're talking close upwards of a billion dollars of income bringing into this city. This is big business. You understand? This is a, a moment that you don't just show up to. You prepare the whole year for this week. Amen? If you're selling, um, if you're buying and raising lambs, I mean, you're out. For all of this bustle is for this moment. This is a huge deal. This is a setting that Jesus is coming into. Now, when Jesus, and we get something significant here, is that when Jesus is coming in, establishing his kingdom, when Jesus is coming, he said, I'm a divine king bringing a new kingdom to the earth. The kingdom of heaven is breaking into our lives. Where does he go? He goes to the heart of that city. When Jesus comes into our lives, he doesn't meet us on the peripheral. He goes to the very heart of who we are. When Jesus brings his kingdom into our lives personally, he goes into the heart of our lives, not the, not the outside, the very center. 
the core of your lives. And what he does is he plants a seed and that seed begins to work itself out into every, because if you come into the temple and you control the temple, you control the city. And so when Jesus, we don't have this place where in the Bible where you invite Jesus into your heart, right? But we see that this is kind of a metaphor that when you invite Christ into your life, he goes to the very core of who you are. He won't stay on the peripheral. He's not on the sides of your life. He's at the very core of your life. Amen? So that's the setting. Next we see is the scope. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up reading this story, and I would think of a temple where Jesus was clearing out about the size of this room, right? Look around to this room. That's kind of what I expected Jesus to clear the temple. There's some tables, some pigeons, but I don't think we realize the scope of this area. The, the temple courts, the, the, the temple mount that Herod would build, that the temple would be in the middle, was a thousand feet by a thousand feet. And so if you, it's hard for us to maybe picture that, but if we're going to do that in acres, that's 23 acres on the Temple Mount. So this temple, and then around the temple was the Temple Mount. I think we have a picture of it. There it is. So in the middle of the Temple Mount is the temple. And see that real faint line around the temple on the ground? Y'all see that? Now what that is, it was these markers in the ground that if you were a Gentile, it would said, if you're a Gentile and you pass this, you will die. Basically, that's what it says in Greek and other languages. So if you, you're able to come into the Temple Mount area, but if you get too close to the temple, we'll kill you. You're dirty. Stay out. And so that's what that is. And then all the space around that low barrier was where the Gentiles could worship. Here's the problem. Jesus... The Israelites and the Jews at the time were setting up shop in the temple of the, the court of the Gentiles, as it was called. So this is a problem. Now, to, to bring this out a little bit further, we have another picture. There's kind of give you an idea of the court of the Gentiles. That's where uh, they would be. And then I was trying to figure out, how do I show you all this, the size and the scope of this, okay? So there's, there's actually, if you go down here to Charles Boulevard, and you go up like you're going out from downtown, there's a, there's a bus stop at the bottom of this hill and a big parking lot. But we can go show a picture of that. This is one half, this entire parking lot, is one half of the Court of the Gentiles. And if you see me, I'm way down there in the middle towards that vehicle. Can you zoom in? There I am. All right, go back. Can you see me now? I'm way, I'm way down there. This is a human being in the court of the Gentiles. So when we say Jesus cleared the temple, do we understand what that means? I don't think, I'm not sure I understand what that means. I mean, it took me about two minutes just to run away from my wife over there to get a photo. <laughs> and so Jesus clears this whole area? I think about when Jesus first came into my life and started cleansing my temple. It took some time. I'm pretty sure he's not done. Amen? I think some of us in here, we think when Jesus comes into our temple, the, our hearts, the, the souls of our lives, that he just kind of cleans everything up in a weekend. 
Now, we believe in Victory Weekend, amen? That's God, God kind of extends his kingdom a little bit faster in a moment, but it takes time to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. It takes time for Jesus to clear out the things in our hearts that are holding us back from him and loving each other and reaching a world for his name, amen? And I just want to encourage you this morning. If you're not where you want to be this morning, the good news is Jesus isn't done. He started something in you that he won't stop until he cleanses all of it out. Amen. That's the scope of what God's doing. Thirdly, the salvation. The salvation of what God's doing. Jesus has come to set us free. Jesus has come to rid our lives of the things that destroy us. And I want to pull out three points out of this salvation that we see from this passage. Here's the first. The passion of God. This story never fit in my box with Jesus. Does anybody else have trouble with this story? We talked about the fig tree last week. You might have trouble with this story. I just had this picture of Jesus that he was nice. Right? Jesus, he was kind. He always had that sheep on his shoulder. I mean, how, many, how bad could he be? You know what I mean? If Jesus had that sheep, and maybe he held his hands like this. And maybe he put his hand and he had blue eyes, right? right? Jesus was a Middle Eastern Jesus, amen? And he wasn't kind. He had, in fact, when John sees him in the book of Revelation, they said there's fire in his eyes. He's passionate. There's fire in God, Amen? We have this picture of Jesus that doesn't fit in our little box of kind little Jesus. It reminds me of that C.S. Lewis quote that said, I think it's in the Narnia, like, he ain't tame. You can't tame God. He's passionate. But what would get God so fired up that he would turn tables? These aren't plastic tables that we have now. These are like nice wooden tables, right? Y'all lifted some of your grandparents' furniture. It's real wood. It takes like eight people, right? So when Jesus is turning tables, he's, put, he's, he's requiring some effort. And you're seeing passion. Now, y'all saw how big in scope this thing was, right? Now, imagine, y'all ever been to like a Black Friday event, right? And the, and the people line up? I mean, you'll fight to get to save $20, you know what I mean? We're going to fight breaks out in Walmart at Black Friday, you know, we're... Give me that $20, whatever. You have people's livelihoods on the tables. I'm still trying to picture in my mind how Jesus got that brother off his table. You know what I mean? Like it, it had to take probably a collective mob on some level. It wasn't him by himself. But Jesus clears this temple and you see the passion of God. Now, what is the passion of God here? The passion of God is to tear down anything, anything that's going to keep us from connecting with God in relationship. We call this worship. We call this prayer. We call this praise. My house will be a prayer, a house of prayer, a place to commune with God. And God is passionate about connecting with you. So much so that he'll rip things down that are keeping that from happening. Do you see that? God wants connectivity with you. God wants a relationship with you so much so that he'll tear stuff down so that he can connect with you on a deep level. 
There's passion in God, amen? We serve a passionate God. Now, I was watching, I think it was an Instagram or, or some kind of video the other day. One of my parents sent it to me or something. Y'all have friends like that send you? I'm not on social media, so I have to get like the side, the side link, okay? And so I got friends that send me stuff that's good. Thank you, John Bell. And so I've been watching this uh, video. I think it was my mom had sent it to me or something. But these two guys were playing lacrosse. Have y'all seen this where it says something about love of a mom? And this guy is twice the size of the other player. And he just runs up and just pummels this guy to the floor. And the guy gets up and he pummels him again. And the guy gets up and next thing you know, you see this mom come off the sidelines and tackle this larger lacrosse player. And he's going like this and she's going after him. There's a mom. Now, did this mom hate that man? No. But she sure loved her son. Now, we won't talk about the dysfunction, right? <laughs> we won't talk about how much therapy that... My mom just came off the... She beat that guy up and it just embarrassed me. Not helping that man become a, a man, amen? But what it did show, her misguided love showed her passion for her son. And so we see here that God is angry, not because he's in a fit of rage, but because he is in a love relationship with his people. Anger, I've quoted this many times before, I'm going to quote it again, because I feel like this helps us. And it helps us deconstruct some of the lies we think about, that God is some passionless force. He's not something that can be coerced with crystals and incantations. He is a living God who is alive. Think how we feel when someone, we see someone we love ravaged by unwise actions in relationships. Do we respond with benign tolerance as we might towards strangers? Far from it. Anger isn't the opposite of love. Hate is. The final form of hate is indifference. God's wrath is not a cranky explosion. Betty did such a good job talking about this last week. Jesus isn't having a fit about this fig tree. Jesus isn't having a fit about, you don't walk in a temple court and have a fit and everybody responds. You better come with some fire. You better come with some intentionality, some strategy, and with some purpose, amen? But has settled his settled opposition to the cancer, which is eating out the inside of the human race he loves with his whole being. God's anger about anything that keeps others from knowing who he is. God hates sin, not because he doesn't want us to have fun, because he's angry at things that ruin us, society, and the people around us. It's passion, because he loves us. And Jesus will clear a temple so that he might get to us so that others who are far from God, who don't know God, can get to know him. That's the passion of God this morning. Second thing we see about our salvation is that there's a process of God's cleansing. First thing we see is Jesus drove out what was already there. In fact, we saw from the story that Jesus walked in the day before, looked around, said, mm, it's probably not time. Too many people here. I'm going to come back in the morning. So he comes back in the morning 
and it begins to drive out. And I showed you all the scope of this, right? But he drives things out. There's things in our lives and in our heart that need to be driven out. There's hatred toward people who don't think like us. There's hatred to people who don't vote like us. Jesus wants to drive that out. How can we love our neighbor if we hate them? Amen? How can we walk in a community of diversity if we're going to put people in categories and not love them? Amen? And here's Jesus. In fact, the real heart of this whole passage is because the Israelites are keeping out those who aren't like them. Y'all realize that, right? The passion of God is coming out against the Jewish people because God blessed the Jews so that the world and the nations could come and worship him. And instead of using the blessing of God to attract those who don't look like them, they've used the blessing of God to exploit those who aren't like them. And God is angry about it. And he's willing to cause a ruckus. The process of God's cleansing, he drives out things in us. There's things in your life specifically that he wants to drive out. The fear. Did you know fear is not your friend? Fear is not your friend. Fear is keeping you from where God wants to take you. Amen? He wants to drive fear out of our hearts. It's keeping us from loving God and loving our neighbor. You cannot love your neighbor in vulnerability if you're afraid of them. I'm sorry. You cannot love your neighbor if you're afraid of them. He's going to drive out fear. Amen? What about lust? We don't see the image of God in those around us, but we just look for something to exploit. He wants to drive that out of us. That's keeping us from loving God and loving our neighbor. What about anxiety and worry? He wants to drive that out of us. It's not our friend. Hatred. Racism. Drive it out of us. It's keeping us from loving God and loving the people around us. Not only does he drive things out, but he disallows things. It's interesting. It says this. He would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. Do y'all get this? Y'all remember the courtyard? It's huge. And an order from people from the Mount of Olives, the fastest way into the city was through the temple. And so they would use the temple not as a place of worship, but for a hallway, a cut through, a hack into where they were really going. How many of us have used worship for God to get what we really wanted? Oh, we're going to walk through the temple. We're going to worship, clap our hands, sing a song. But what I really want is success in my business. What I really want is a spouse. What I really want is my marriage or, or my family to be safe. So I'm going to worship God and so he'll give me what I want. I'm going to worship God as a hallway to get. See, God is not your means to an end. God is the end. We worship God so that we might be with God. We might know our God. We don't use religion to get what we want. And that's what Jesus is saying. No, you can't come through here. You can't enter into the presence of God because you're not here for God. You're here for you. He's cleansing the temple. He disallowed. There's something not just in our lives personally, but in our community that have to be driven out and disallowed. 
Nothing destroys a community like gossip. Right? Like putting others down because you don't feel good about yourself. I mean, I, it's hard to realize uh, uh, an environment of young people that this cancer isn't trying to break in somewhere. Amen? I feel insecure about who I am. And so let me tear down that person so I feel better about myself. Right? That's, that's the environment and this, we got to drive this out. This is a cancer that's killing the community of God so others can know who God is. Because here's what's happened. When people walk in, oh, this smells just like the world. This smells exactly like everywhere else I've been. In fact, I know some places in the world that smell better than this. And Jesus said, we've got to drive out these things that are destroying communities. Amen. I could go on and on, but disallows. We drive out and we disallow. I think this speaks a little bit to our habits as well, that when we, there are rhythms that we've picked up over the time. I've always walked through the temple to get where I want to go. The first 30 times I walked through the temple to get where I want, Jesus didn't say anything about it, right? I just went through, I've always been this way. And before, you know, we've picked up habits. We've, we've allowed ourselves to do things that are deforming us and how we think and how we feel. And then when we think and feel a certain way, we think this is true because our habits have formed us. So Jesus is saying, man, when I come to cleanse, not only do I drive out things, but I'm gonna have to disallow some things coming through my heart, through my eyes and my ears. <laughs> eyes and ears, amen? What are we listening to? What are we watching? Where are we escaping? What are we allowing to walk through the temple of our hearts? And we don't think that's going to have an effect and distract us from true worship. Do y'all get that? What we listen to, what we watch, will begin to distract us from genuine worship. It was never the point. It was never the intention. But we've allowed it to pass through long enough that it distracts us. Amen? We do have to be aware that technology, as awesome as it is, is forming us in ways that we don't even really fully understand. I'm not throwing my phone away, y'all. I love my phone. I'd be lost without it in lots of ways. But I do realize that it is having an effect on how I think, how I feel, and who I love. Y'all notice that? That you feel certain ways around certain people, not because it's out of this heart of God, but because the images that you've seen, the lies that you've been told, and you're twisted to assume something about someone before you've even met them. I don't think we design, we didn't choose that, but it is happening to us, and we need to be aware. Amen? What are we allowing? Finally, not only does God drive things out of our hearts, he disallows things to come in. I just remember, can I be vulnerable for a moment? When I was a young person, single, I couldn't listen to country music. I just couldn't. God disallowed it. Now, is there anything wrong with country? Not at all. I listen to it all the time. But in that season, I couldn't do it because all it made me want to do was find a woman. <laughs> do you know what I mean, just, every time I would turn on a country song, I just wanted to find a woman. Is there anything wrong with a woman? Praise God, I found one. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, for a season, I know I wasn't supposed to be married or pursuing. And so for that season, I felt like the Lord said, don't do that. 
There was nothing wrong with that, right? So what I'm saying is that for certain things in our lives, we need to be led by the Spirit to what we allow into our souls. If God is calling you to do something, you might have to do something different than your friends around you do. You might, your family might have to operate differently from the families around you. There are families that are homeschooled in here, they go to public school in here, they go to private school. You know what? Praise God. I don't know what God's telling your family to do. I don't know the struggles that your family has. Some of us don't even have options. Amen? So we need to be gracious in an environment that we don't understand what God's telling you, as long as it didn't break the word, right? As long as we're not violating scripture, we need to have an atmosphere of grace to understand where people are coming from. I don't know what God hasn't allowed you to do. I know he's allowed, not me allowed to do some weird things that I don't tell everybody, right? But because Jesus is, Jesus is the Lord of my temple. Jesus is the Lord of this temple. And he tells me to do things that maybe other people can do, but I can't do. Amen? Amen. Finally, he, didasco. I just threw a Greek word in there, so I'd sound smart. But basically what this means is he, te- he taught. That's the Greek word there. He taught them. He taught them. In order for us to be cleansed, in order for God to cleanse our temple, in order for God to cleanse this community, the people of God who God's called the temple of God, is he's got to teach us what's true and right. We have to understand what God is saying. We have to sit under his tutelage. We have to be an apprentice of Jesus. That's why our growth track is so important because we want us to make sure that we're following Jesus how he says follow Jesus. Are you sitting under the teaching ministry of Jesus? He quotes two passages here. One from Isaiah, I think 65. One from Jeremiah 7, I believe. If you don't know the scriptures, you don't know what Jesus is saying. Like if you're in Israel and Jesus starts quoting these Isaiah and Jeremiah, you're missing what God's saying. What's the point? That if we don't know the word, Many times we don't understand what God's doing. God might be speaking to us something, but if we don't know the scriptures, if we aren't taking the time to get in the Bible and become biblically literate, then many things God wants to speak to us are going to fall on deaf ears. That's quiet. We have to listen to the word. Our minds washed with the scriptures. Just like this temple, though it was cleansed by Jesus, it wasn't cleansed just by Jesus. I love how, if you read this passage again, it says, they went into Jerusalem and they went back to the Mount of Olives. And everything in the middle, he did. But you know what? He didn't do it alone. You know my testimony? Jesus has brought me out of darkness. He's helped me walk in freedom. He did it, but he didn't do it alone. Do we get that? That God uses people to help us follow him. It took other people taking the word and explaining it to me. It took other people challenging me in what I believed. It took a community. Jesus uses the people of God. 
And at the end, we'll look back and say, he cleansed the temple. That's how we'll testify. He cleansed the temple. It wasn't just him, y'all. It was all of his disciples. There's no way you can disallow thousands of people walking through that big of a place unless people are at every entrance. You know how many entrances there were to the temple? Twelve. God is calling us to be a part of what he's doing too. It's not just God doing it. He's inviting us to be a part of it with him. Finally, the picture God is painting. Jesus in his language here is drawing us back to Abraham. When he says, I'm gonna bless you, Abraham, that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. From the beginning, the people of faith was about a people of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Solomon, you're going to build the temple and they're going to see the glory of this temple and the nations will come and worship God. And then we go into the book of Revelation and we see the wedding supper of the Lamb from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. It's always been about the nations. It's always been about those who are far from God coming to know God. The picture God is painting. When we make religion about us in this room, we've missed the point of why God's pouring out his spirit. He wants to reach a city for his glory. He wants what God's doing here to be multiplied all over the world. That people can know Christ. That people can know the truth of the gospel. Ephesians 3, 8 through 12. To me, though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, those who are not Jews, those who are not like me, the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light to everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made. That word manifold means multicolored, multifaceted. We could even say the multi-ethnic wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance to his eternal purpose. When God sent Jesus to the earth to die for the sins of the world, his purpose was to gather people from all people for himself. And to tear down any barriers that are keeping those other people from seeing Jesus. What are we saying this morning? Jesus bringing a new kingdom. And it happens and it comes because it comes into the very heart of who we are as a people. And it begins to work itself out in our lives. It takes time, it takes community, it takes faith in God. It takes removing some things that are hindering God from moving in you. It takes removing some things in the city that are keeping the kingdom of God from expanding and other peoples not like ourselves. See, when Jesus brings his kingdom, he wants every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation, a multi-ethnic picture of his glory to the ends of the earth. That means... 
that I'm not going to like preferential everything that's going on in the temple. That I might not preference, I might not like what this ice cream tastes like. I might not like what this food tastes like, right? But somebody will. And as long as it's for the glory of God, then I'm going to have to deal with my preferences, amen? That means that all of us, that means all of us are going to be stretched to love our neighbor. It's not going to feel right all the time. I pray there's a season where it doesn't feel right for me in this church because I'm getting older somehow, right? I'm going to be older and one day I'm going to be 60 some years old and I might not love the music and, and how loud it is in this house. Praise God because it's not about me and my preferences. It's about the glory of God coming to the earth from generation to generation so that I'm going to have to die to my preferences so that the glory of Jesus might be magnified in our city. Now, some of us are used to that. Others of us better get used to it if we're going to be a part of what God's doing. I'm not looking forward to that completely, but I'm looking forward to that in a lot of ways, amen? To see Jesus move in our city for his glory. Let's stand to our feet as we close. Father, thank you for this church. Father, thank you for everyone in this room, Lord, that you love them and that you're passionate about them, no matter what they've done, no matter their history, no matter what's behind them in their past. Lord, you are passionate about knowing them and walking with them and cleansing them and changing them for your purposes and your glory. There's nobody in this room who's exempt from your love and your purpose. Father, I just ask by your Holy Spirit, if there's anyone in here that feels far from you, that doesn't feel close to you, that doesn't feel like they have an intimate relationship with you and they want one this morning, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Amen. Anyone else? Father, you saw those hands. Lord, I pray that you would pour out your love in a tangible way on their hearts. Lord, if there's anything in their lives that's keeping them from you, if there's sin, if there's self-righteousness, if there's pride that are holding them back from you, Lord, I pray that you would give them the grace to repent trust you and you alone. Lord, for those of us in this room who aren't a part of community, don't have those relationships in their lives helping them be cleansed and follow Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would help them take a step to be in a life group or, or the growth track or to grab a friend over coffee and begin to open up their lives, Lord. We need each other, Father. Lord, I pray that you would pour out your spirit on your people, that we would know your great passion for us. And Lord, my, my final prayer this morning is for everybody in this room and for this church in particular, Lord, that we would be a part of your purpose in this city. That it wouldn't just be about me and mine, 
but it would be about the, the people of this city who don't know you. Lord, help us tear down the barriers. Help us tear down the barriers that are keeping others from coming to know you. We ask this in your holy name. We ask this in your holy name. In Jesus' name.